This is Dr. Saba Maruf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. Where'd you want to go? Everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unsung Heroes, Stories to Inspire here on Podcast Detroit, where our purpose is to, sh- is to share amazing stories and unique narratives um, of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers, and change makers in our communities. And we really hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. And um, I'm very excited, super excited today um, to have two amazing people here in the studio. Um, and I've been thinking about having you both on for quite some time. So thank you so much for taking time out. Um, and I've also been thinking about kind of doing this little theme of like having, um, we have so many amazing people in our community, but power couples and especially couples that are really, I know Mark is like laughing. because That was the specific <laughs> phrase Hazel said she didn't want to hear today. <laughs> oh, sorry. Wait, are you guys like Jay-Z and Beyonce? <laughs> <laughs> but okay, yeah, I shouldn't say, but I mean, just, you know, People, two people that, um, you know, uh, as a couple, some people that are, we just all look up to um, and doing such amazing work that I'm really excited to share today with our audience, um, Mark Crane and Hazel Gomez. So um, welcome, you guys. Thank um, you. And we're going to be talking, of course, also about um, Dream of Detroit and um, the both of you and kind of your work with that and all the other amazing work that you've been doing, too. Um, I got your bios and it just reminded me. Uh, how I mean, I'm really humbled and lucky to have you both here today. And um, again, the purpose of this show is to share voices and stories. So thank you. Thank you guys for being here. Mm-hmm. Um, and also want to welcome my co-host, Calvin Moore. Hey, what's up? What's up, co-host extraordinaire and our sound, Sir, I, sound I, engineer, Jess. Yes. Hello. I, I, I know I keep saying it as a joke, but I do feel... Like we need, I like the name Unsung Heroes. It's okay, but this show, this out. show needs to be changed. The name needs to be Doctor Sabah Roof and her amazing friends. <laughs> every time, like the bios just get better and better. I know. I'm like, what in. am I doing with my life? That's right. I'm going. Oh my gosh. What am I? I mean, you got a PhD at this point. I'm like, well, and you're no, feeling no, like, no. what am I doing with my life? So, uh, but yeah, welcome to the show. You guys are great. Thank, Thank you so much us. for having. Well, us. I'm blessed We're to excited. be connected to some amazing people through especially through our communities and stuff so through our community really um but just kind of um you know um yeah, just want a brief introductions for um, Hazel and Mark here. Um, so Hazel Gomez um, graduated from Loyola University in Chicago with a bachelor's in forensic science. And she's currently um, a community organizer with Dream of Detroit and also dedicates her time as an advisor and board member to various nonprofits, um, ranging from community development and convert care to anti-racism work and mosque development within the Muslim community. She spent time as a community organizer with the Inner City Muslim Action Network, or IMAN, in Chicago, which focuses on the inner section of immigration and criminal justice reform and a lead research assistant at the Alternative Education Research Institute, focusing on the analysis of the criminal justice system, reentry programs and conversion to Islam of certain Latin American countries. So welcome, Hazel. Thank you. And Mark, Mark Crane is a digital strategist, online campaigner, and aspiring community organizer with experience serving both small, not-for-profit, and national advocacy organizations. He was communications coordinator at Chicago's 
Inner City Muslim Action Network and served on the digital team at the Obama 2012 Obama campaign. 2012. <laughs> <laughs> He's the co-founder of Empower Change, a rapid response digital campaigning organization serving the Muslim community and is a project director for Dream of Detroit, a Muslim-led community development initiative on the west side of the city. He spends his days with the progressive advocacy group MoveOn.org, where he serves as mobile innovation director and senior strategist. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and Dream of Detroit is a Muslim-led initiative um, that's combining community organizing with strategic housing and land development to build healthy community and c- empower marginalized neighborhoods. And um, I'm going to let you guys um, definitely talk about that amazing initiative and organization. Um, but again, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to share your voices today, and we're so excited to be here. Nervous, also excited. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Yeah, it gets uh, it gets easier and flows as, as we start go- the conversation going. So, thanks, guys. Um, so, you both uh, worked in Chicago with an amazing organization, Iman Inner City Muslim Action Network, and um, we're really excited. Actually, this weekend, the founder of that, uh, Dr. Ramiel Nishashibi, is going to be at the Muslim Arc Dinner uh, mm-hmm. Gala um, Saturday, yeah. where you'll yeah. you'll also be both of you. I think are speaking at that too. Or, you'll, or Mark will be uh, Mark presenting. Let's <laughs> take place at the Charles H. Wright. Yep, yeah, exactly. exactly right. Yeah. yeah, I'm only speaking because Hazel's the steering committee for Muslim Arc, and okay. we're oh. blessed to have they're they're opening an office in our neighborhood, which maybe yes. we can talk more down the line. But yeah, definitely. Rami, we had Namir on the show a few weeks ago. Is that right? So, yep. That's great. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so you both started out at Iman, which is an amazing organization. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. But how did that work kind of bring you both together and set the foundation for your work in the community? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I just got instructed to speak first. Good man. Hazel and I actually started at Iman on the same day. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, and for our listeners, they weren't. You weren't married then. No, no, no we weren't. Not at all. That that's where we met. Um, it was December seventh, two thousand nine. Um, but but actually, you know, we met there, and and probably for most of the mer- first year we we were working there, we didn't really cross paths much. But I actually learned of Hazel Gomez prior to <laughs> meeting her at Eman uh, when I saw Hazel on a local for news special, local NBC news special in Chicago, um, talking about the wave of Latinos converting to Islam. Um, and so uh, then I showed up at work and I was like, oh, that's the lady I saw on the news the other day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that's how we met initially. Yeah. Very cool. So did, did you feel like you were meeting a celebrity? I, a little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I like continued to learn more about all the the you know celebrity facets of Hazel Gomez as time went on. But that was my first introduction to her, and then we started working together. And we were in um, uh, again for that for much of that first year, we didn't really cross paths. And then later on, our work started to converge with Hazel being on the organizing team and, and my work in the communications department supporting the organizers. And the main trip where. Um one of the prophetic sayings in Islam is you really get to know someone when you travel with them. Mm-hmm. And so imagine a 15-passenger van with nine people traveling 36 hours from Chicago to Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> um, so it was actually during that trip we were there um, to for voter registration for SB 1070, which was an anti-immigrant bill. Essentially, it was just targeting anybody who was brown um, for law enforcement to check for their papers. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is where we're at now, even in 2017. But so we were going down there for uh, voter registration. And it was really on this trip with working um, with this multi-faith and multi-ethnic coalition 
um, that on that trip is where Mark and I really got to to know one another and realize that we had a lot a lot in common actually. Okay, so uh, and this isn't a, a written question here, but it's kind of interesting to me because uh, I think we had uh, on the show that you were on 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 my program we had Steve Urenda on, and he is uh, mm, yeah. he's from the Latino community. And he is, you know, a, a convert to, to Islam as well. So that's a, that's fascinating to me for a second. So a little off off script here. So is that a big change going on in, in the Latino community, uh, uh, conversion to Islam? And, and how is that happening? Yes, actually, what the largest uh, population that's converting to Islam are Latinos okay. and particularly Latina women. Okay. Um, whether they're Spanish speakers or born and raised here or even directly straight from Central America, Latin America, the Caribbean. So yes, it's this fascinating, just um, religion is changing a lot in in Latin America and people are being exposed to, well, one, you have Islam is all over the news Mm -hmm. um, for better or for worse. And so people are looking into it. There's also, interestingly enough, a lot of telenovelas uh, soap operas that are picking up the theme on Islam. Mm-hmm. And some of it is filled mm-hmm. with stereotypes and other times it's really expressing the message of the faith. And so I've, I've, I've actually been finding it very fascinating to see how much of Islamic teachings correspond with Latino culture um, and not necessarily Latino as in like Catholic religion. Mm-hmm. So it's just very fascinating that there are things that I grew up doing that were pretty Islamic, but were a part of our culture. Oh, okay. So, plot twist here. I'm just finding. I'm, I'm just finding this out here. Okay, so you're from that community then? Yes, I'm okay. Puerto Rican and Mexican. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah. I guess Gomez should have given that away. <laughs> You're right. Like, I'm not paying attention this morning. Sorry, I haven't had my coffee yet. Um, but no, uh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. No, of course. Um, so, so let's continue then. I mean, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the Dream of Detroit project, how it started, and how it's making an impact. Uh, what are some of the memorable moments being involved in uh, in this revitalization project? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can talk about how it started. Um, you know, actually, most people. So I, I, I'm, I guess, the most active volunteer with the project right now. Where we are an entirely volunteer-led project at the moment. Okay. We're actually in the midst of a fundraising drive to be able to hire our first full-time staffer. Um, we feel like we've finally sort of reached a tipping point where that's necessary. But, um, so most people who see the project today or have seen it for the last three three and a half years that I've been involved don't know that I, I actually wasn't around when it started. So, okay. So actually, we. Um, uh, and it kind of goes back to Iman. So uh, we were at an ISNA convention one year. Islamic Society of North America is this massive convention that gets held often in Chicago. And Iman would would um, take a bus of folks from the convention site on the north side of Chicago to their office and um, the homes they had rehabbed and so forth on the on the southwest side of Chicago. And so in, I don't know, 2010 maybe or 2011, there was a guy who – um, was walking through the lobby and got convinced to get on our tour bus. And he came and really became quite fond of the work right away. And so before the weekend was over, he became a supporter of Iman. And um, he was from this area, though. He's from Ann Arbor. So he came home and th- working with Iman was really his his like first taste of any sort of social justice work for the most part. And so he got inspired and got a group of friends together. And he started a group called the Indus Community Action Network out in the Canton area. And um, at the same time, out of the Muslim Center community on the west side of Detroit, there was a group that emerged out of the Muslim Center and a, 
a masjid called Masjid Wali Muhammad, a group called Neighborly Needs, mainly of elders from the black Muslim community. And they had started to purchase a few homes in the neighborhood around the Muslim Center um, with the long-term intention of, of using them for some sort of charitable aspect. So long story short, these two groups were brought together by a, a connector in the community, and they kicked off what they called the Dream Project. And so uh, they partnered around the re- rehabilitation of one home, um, and that was really like the seed of the idea. But just as they were finishing that, Hazel and I were preparing to move to Detroit from Chicago. I'm from Detroit. Okay. Uh, she was gracious enough to actually leave Chicago, her hometown, and move here with me. Um, <laughs> Which do you like better? Come on, then. I can't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I like Chicago more than she likes Detroit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like, which is hey. better, Lafayette or Lafayette or American Coney Island? Which one? you have to pick. Yeah. Uh, so we, um, but when when that person started, I can his name was Wasim, found out we were coming home. He basically roped us in right away, and so uh, from about the time where they had just finished the first home, uh, sort of onward. We've been very much involved in sort of setting the overall sort of vision and strategy for the project and volunteer coordination and all those things. Okay, so you're kind of touching on on again the, the revitalization side, working on a home. What is it exactly that that you all do? Yeah, I mean, um, in short, I mean, we we are we're pulling together. We're, we're trying to pull together community organizing with community development to revitalize this 10 block area. Okay. And, and our target area is 10 blocks just uh, southwest of the intersection of the Lodge and Davidson Freeway in Detroit. Um, as a matter of fact, if you're driving up or down, if you're driving down the Lodge and you look to your right, you can see the Muslim Center in big green letters. You can see the masjid. And so that that is really like the anchor institution in the neighborhood. Um, it's a neighborhood that over the years has seen a ton of de- disinvestment. Um, it was, uh, you know, established as a working class neighborhood in the first place, very much dependent on auto industry, mm-hmm. like a lot of places in yep. Detroit. Um, incredibly hard hit by the, the depression, the housing crash. And um, essentially what we found was that in 2012, when the Detroit Future City Plan was put out, this 50-year strategic framework mm-hmm. for the for the city, um, this was a neighborhood that was cast as an ecological innovation zone. So what they said was uh, population has attracted so much in this area that we don't expect it to come back. Um, and that instead, over time, uh, we, we imagine um, cutting services or at least not introducing new services to the area. Uh, we'll handle vacant lots with co- quote unquote controlled overgrowth. Um, you know, we often say to people, you know, uh, ask a woman walking past this vacant lot at night if how controlled the overgrowth is, right? Um, shallow <laughs> pools for rainwater collection to take pressure off the sewage. So, like, interesting things ecologically, mm-hmm. not don't really bode well for the people who live in the neighborhood and, right. and for folks who want to live in the neighborhood. Exactly. I mean, right. it's not a neighborhood that is empty. There are, right. you know, there are homes that are abandoned and there's homes that Dream has also boarded up, but. That was the sad thing was to have this notion of as if there are no souls and no right. families that actually live in this neighborhood. And so the beauty of, you know, you asked me, which do I like better, Detroit or Chicago? Like They both have their own unique flavor. But one thing that I appreciate about Detroit is that phrase, Detroit hustles hard. Mm-hmm. It's like I see it. Mm-hmm. And as an organizer, just organizing in Detroit is just so different. And it's powerful to see the people really um, uplift one another. And not necessarily knowing that they can't always depend on the city, for example. Like there's really this sense of community that I find absolutely empowering. And so 
you know, one of the things that I have found so uplifting was uh, the boarding up of the homes in this 10 block radius and also the planting of trees. And one thing that one thing that I noticed with the planting of when I first moved here, obviously, the the disease that hit all the trees. So there the were ash, a lot. Uh, the ash borer. The ash borer yeah, and the yeah. Dutch elm disease, yeah. 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 And I had noticed that when I moved here from Chicago that there were not many trees. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the fact that Dream tried to, is trying to beautify this neighborhood, mm-hmm. it isn't just empowering the people, it isn't just, you know, building homes and getting people to move in. It's also like what is going to be left for our future generations right. and having trees so that kids can hear the rustling of leaves. I hadn't realized that I hadn't heard the rustling of leaves until our saplings started growing. Um, Are you guys working with the, the Greening of Detroit? Because I think they just We did for that. That was a couple of years ago. But yeah, yeah we worked with them and planted 114 trees yeah. throughout the neighborhood. They just announced oh. a couple of days ago they're uh, over the next three years are going to be planting 10,000 trees. So and that makes a difference. I mean, that yeah. really makes a difference, you know, for not only air quality, but just like the aesthetics and yeah. beauty, you know, like that's also part of building yep. community. Okay. I just want to, right, I mean, also just for our listeners too, the work that Dream of Detroit has done, they re- rehabbed um, four homes in the neighborhood and with several more in the pipeline, boarded up more than 20 vacant buildings, the planting of the 114 trees, and um, trained 25 entrepreneurs and, ga- and engaged hundreds of residents and volunteers along the way. And one of the houses that's going to be um, rehabbed in the f- uh, very near future mm-hmm. they're starting on, it's already started, is um, the house that Muslim Ark is going to be using yeah. as kind of their hub. Yeah. So that's really cool too. Yeah, we're really excited about that. So Hazel's really active with Muslim Arts, we mentioned earlier, and um, I'm like a fanboy of theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, we sort of come from a, you know, I speak personally, I mean, I come from a, a school of thought where, you know, um, Islam is something that is explicitly anti-racist. And, and, and yet, like in our, our community is incredibly divided for a number of reasons and, and very much the sort of, um, uh, racial superstructure of this country has sort of been overlaid on top of our community. And um, and so th- I think the work that Muslim Ark is doing around education in the Muslim community is is exactly what they call it, is liberatory. It's, it's liberating. So um, we're excited to have them in the neighborhood, to be bringing all that energy, to be bringing all the good folks who are, in, you know, affiliated with their project. Um, that's definitely a big win for us. And, and this spring when they open that office will be a big moment for us. Um, we've also got an artist in residence home that'll be opening this spring. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so we've, we've got a, a budding partnership with the fine arts department at the University of Michigan um, around that one and, uh, hoping that it'll be, uh, we're, we're called, it's called the Indus Detroit, uh, international arts residency. So we're hoping that we'll have at least two residents per year, one local and then one from somewhere throughout the, uh, quote unquote Muslim world from West Africa through South, South Asia. So that's, um, that's exciting. Uh, one thing we did this past, um, fall, which was fun, was our first street fair. So we had a Dream Detroit street fair. We partnered with with the Repertory Theater, which is in our neighborhood. It's one mm-hmm. of Detroit's oldest uh, uh, neighborhood-based theaters. It's 60 years. So they were celebrating 60 years this year, actually. And they have a little a bunch of them. I didn't know that they had more than one. I know. Yeah, no, in Southwest Detroit, and then I was like, "Oh, there's another one." Yeah, there yeah. definitely are. There's a thriving scene. So, so the rep has been there as as an anchor for literally twice as long as the Muslim Center. But between the Repertory Theater, the Muslim Center, and the Huda Clinic, mm-hmm. um, those are really like the institutions in our neighborhood. So we partnered with all of them and uh, shut down a few blocks of Woodrow Wilson Street over there and had close to a thousand people come out over about five hours. We had forty, fifty vendors out there. 
Um, so first time we were excited about it. We're gonna. Uh, it looks like we're gonna do it again next year. Um, cool. fo- folks that was fun. To, we came out with the yeah family, and they had a great time. I'm glad really you enjoyed nice. it. Yeah, we came a little late, but it was so fun. So glad you came. It was it was really <clears throat> nice to to have that. The, there's a good number of elderly in the neighborhood. Mm. So when I was walking home with the boys, it was really nice to have one of the elders. You know, he was saying "Assalamu alaikum" in his own way, and he mm. said that was amazing. That was amazing. You know, I really hope you guys can do it again next year. He just had this. Just to see that many people in the neighborhood just meant a lot to him. So I was yeah. grateful for that. That was fun. I, yeah. On the flip side of the age spectrum, one of the things <laughs> that I liked about the fair was we had a, a group come out called uh, Wrench Detroit, and um, they repair bikes. And so they set up a program where they had um, they had like 50 bikes that were in various states of disrepair. They brought them. And then if you came and brought a, a bike that you wanted to give away, they'd fix one of the other ones right there on the spot and give it to you. And so by the end of the day, we just had all these kids just racing yeah. <laughs> through the fair on their bikes. So um, it was so funny. Wow, actually, our son that day, he was like, I want my training wheels off. And like made <laughs> us go home and take his training wheels off. And he hopped on and started riding right oh, away. He started riding right away. Nice. <laughs> Persistent kid. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Um, how do you think the work, I mean, <clears throat> so the connection between Iman and Dream of Detroit, and I first heard about Iman in the late 90s when actually uh, Rami spoke it. I went to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and he mm. came and was talking, he was going around the country, I think, talking about it. And I was just like so um, inspired by, I mean, this was a grassroots organization that was um, at that time the focus, I mean, a lot of it was like on education. They had after school co- programs for all of the kids that were in the area. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, for all kids of all faith backgrounds mm-hmm. and religions. Um, how do you, like, how did you bring the work that you did there together to help you set the foundation for the work here in Detroit? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, you know, I say, you know, personally, I was, I had been Muslim all of nine months before I started working at Iman. Uh, yeah, and so for me, so you're both converts. Yeah, yeah we're both okay. converts. Interesting. All right. Yeah, Hazel converted seven years before me. Okay, six years before me. All right. Um, there. So for me, landing there was incredibly formative um, as a young Muslim, as um, someone who had had uh, at least an I won't say a background in, but a, a concern, a, a care or passion around social justice and had been involved in various efforts throughout my young college years, I guess. And so to, to become Muslim and then automatically, you know, almost immediately find this place that was combining, um, in really deep ways, the Muslim tradition with a social justice agenda was really powerful. So, um, there's not a lot of, direct connections between the types of programs we're doing with Dream and Eman. So, I mean, there's generally, there's there's the fact that we're both in housing to some extent. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, Eman runs a really cool program that, that we hope to one day be able to emulate, which is called a green, the Green Reentry Project. And so what they've done is, um, and it goes back to the, sort of the criminal justice reform work that they do, is they run a very well-integrated sort of holistic program. Um, but, but this Green Reentry Project, it takes brothers, I think, think they might have their first house for women now but it was taking brothers who are coming out of the prison system uh um they would put them on a crew to to rehab a home basically green retrofit this home so that they're learning marketable skill sets for the green economy at the same time they would be living in a home that had been finished by the previous crew and undergoing a year of leadership development job training spiritual development um and so uh 
you know, that the kernel of that is reflected in what we were trying to do with these houses in the neighborhood anyway. Um, but you know, it's just, it's a different landscape that we're working on in our neighborhood. Um, so, um, Iman has that work. They have their community organizing team. Um, and they've got their free health clinic. We have a free health clinic in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Thank God. The Huda clinic. It's been there for a decade now. We've you, got, you used to work at the Huda. Huda. Yeah. I'm there. I helped start the mental health services. Okay. Right. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know. So, you know, Sorry. we didn't, we didn't, Sorry. no, no, I, I took a sip of water, Marco Rubio moment. So, <laughs> we, we did. Uh, Ew. No, I just, <laughs> taking your water away now. Right. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, we didn't need to replicate that mm-hmm. per se. Um, the organizing work, Iman does a lot around food justice, uh, food access. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, our neighborhood certainly needs that, but, uh, I think first there are core issues around like housing and access to basic services that need to be addressed. So um, we certainly consider ourselves inspired by them. The executive director Rami came up and mm-hmm. emceed our first dinner that we did a couple of years ago. Um, actually, the the director of their Atlanta project was supposed to uh, be the keynote at our recent dinner, but wasn't able to make it at the last minute. So we we stay connected to them, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, and inspired by them. But I mean, I imagine, of course, every. Every area, every region, every city has its own needs and, you know, individualized kind of care and, um, uh, you know, all that, too. So I guess for our listeners that live in other cities, um, and I know I kind of, I'm kind of jumping around here, but that live in other cities around the country, I guess, you know, if they do have kind of this passion for social justice work and revitalization and doing something to help, you know, cities, how can they get involved and kind of get started? I think sometimes we kind of all have a interest in it or passion, but like jumping in and getting, you know, getting involved, doing the work, initiating things, that's kind of always a big step, right? I feel one of the first things is we cannot have a savior complex, regardless yes. of our ethnic background, our religious background. When I hear people say, oh, Detroit is a blank slate. I am, and I've heard this from non-Detroiters, mm-hmm. it's, it is very offensive there are people here. There's a history here. There are voices and stories that need to be told and heard and amplified. And as an organizer, one of my beloved friends, Dr. Saad Abdul Khabir, one of her things, she's like, um, uh, don't hold the mic, pass it. Right. Mm-hmm. So like as an organizer, you pass the mic to those who don't have access to that. And so in your city or wherever it is that you want to work First things first is not to have that complex and know that the people who are directly affected may need the resources that you have access to, but you have to sit and listen to them. That's, I mean, that's organizing 101, right? And back to like, you know, uh, one of the, one of the verses in the Quran is God made us into nations and tribes so that we may know one another. And when you really look at the crux of that, that's community organizing 101, that's really sitting down and, and having a conversation, eating with one another and, and really delving into one another's stories. Um, so that would be my first advice. Do not go into a space thinking that you are going to save the people. Um, you're going to pass that mic and push them along. I, did, I, I always wonder about community organizing because, I, I mean, I grew up you know, going to church, same kind of thing. You know, uh, I actually helped plant a church in downtown Detroit mm-hmm. and it was a – Suburban white church. Uh, the main the main campus is in Troy, Michigan. It's a massive, massive church. And you're like, hey, Detroit's kind of popping off. Let's let's start a congregation <laughs> downtown. And they installed essentially like 
200 white people just downtown. Mm. And the big thing was, you know, we, we got to go in. We got to we got to meet, <laughs> you know, just using Christian language here. Uh, we're not going to bring Jesus to the people. We're going to find out where Jesus is already at work. Mm. And, mm. and, but that was a, that was a good view. And now if you go to that church four years later, there are a, a ton of people from the community. So it reflects the community. It's not just white anymore. It's black, white, Hispanic, and all those kinds of things. But I do, I do wonder what happens when you are coming in any community organization, whether you're an NGO, whether you are a church, whether you're a mosque, whether you're a synagogue, um, you are coming in and you are noting a problem. Something has gone wrong in this area. That is why we are here. It's like we're not we're not going to Beverly Hills, California to rehab houses because the houses are fine there, right? And so when you are coming in and you are and essentially doing good work, you know, you're 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 being the hands and feet of of the message that you carry in a way. So how do you go in, hear the voices? While also noting that something is wrong, because in a way you are being a savior in some way, shape, or form, how do you note the good work that is done once it is done? Because you're not going in there with, to, to meet no problems. There are problems in the areas that you're going into. How do you tread that line of not being a savior, but also doing things that are when people come to you and they're like, I'm so grateful that you moved into this area because nobody was doing this before you got here. So in a way you are – being a savior without having a savior complex, how do you how do you tread that line carefully? If that question makes sense, how do you stay humble? I guess is a, is a mm-hmm. the shorter question to to all that. Well, I mean, staying humble is easy by just looking at the the limitations of the work that we've done. To be honest okay. with you, I mean, you know, like we've had some successes where where we are, uh, you know proud of the work that we have accomplished, but we're very clear that we're nowhere near turning around the neighborhood yet. We're nowhere okay. near the goals that we've set out. Um, so, that, so I mean, that, that's the first thing is just to just be real about the, the level of impact that you're having. Um, the other piece is to remember that like, you know, were you to die tomorrow, like life would go on, the okay. work would go on, mm-hmm. someone else would pick up, you know, it is what it is. So we're just trying to do what we can in the time we have, but you know, yeah, I, and I don't. I wouldn't even. Yeah, I don't know that that savior complex one is is a hard question. I don't, you know, uh, I don't. You know, when folks come to, like our, we moved into our neighborhood because like, how can you try to how can you do this type of work and be an outsider? Like, we're not. Mm-hmm. You can't parachute in and have all the the answers, and you can't build real relationships like this if you're not amongst the people. So, I mean, there were a bunch of reasons that we felt like we needed to actually live in the neighborhood. Um, um, you know, I don't, that, that was just like, that's, that's just part of the role description almost. Right. Um, you know, but I, yeah, I don't know. That's it. I, I would just say that like, there's a, there's a good reason that people have to be cynical. There's a good, yes. there's, there are, there's a history behind why people are downtrodden, why things, you know, and you, you know, a person out, out of the know might drive down one of these streets and be like, oh, well, you know, why can't the neighbors just take care of these houses? You know, like, why can't they board? Why can't they cut the grass? You know, okay, say that and then try to live a life where you're working 40, 60 hours a week mm-hmm. and you're already managing your own home and you expect me to keep up the, the other five homes that went vacant by no means. But, right. You know, I didn't do no cause of happen, right? You yeah. know? So, you know, you just have to, uh, I think sort of broaden your perspective a little bit to have that sort of empathy. But, you know, we just, um, you know, 
just try to bring whatever hopefulness we can to the project and, and share that. And really knowing people's stories, like I said, right? So it's it's really getting to know one another mm-hmm. where it's, you know, we're not, we're neighbors. We shouldn't be strangers, which is, you know, our story in particular because we do live in the neighborhood. And it's really getting to know, you know, the the elderly neighbors that are around, the young children that come and play with our sons, Musan Harun, and really realize that, as as Mark said, that we are to leave, you know, we're gone tomorrow, that the work hopefully will, uh, someone else will take on the work. And it's also this notion of really helping, some people are surviving. Mm-hmm. And as people of color, we are always on survival mode. When are we going to thrive? And this is something that can be difficult to to not only internalize, but also like help other people realize their potential. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're supposed to do as organizers. It's like, yeah, I hear you. You, we're, we're in survival mode. I got you. We're here for one another. But like, we got to move forward. We got to thrive together. Mm-hmm. We can't be in our silos. You know, criminal justice is not a black issue, only solely a black issue. Immigration is not solely a Latino issue. Like, we got to come together because that's how we are going to to move forward. I guess uh, another question that comes out of it for for me. Again, I I tend to be a bleeding heart, and so as each issue comes up, like again, I'm, I'm myopic. My my area of expertise is African American history, so anything that has to do with race relations around the Black community in the United States, like that's my thing. So police brutality is something I can focus on. You know, racism things I can focus on, um, and then I hear these other stories. I'm like, I, I I should be compassionate about those as well, but I also understand what my lane is. But then the long haul is the hard part. You know, you know, focusing, you know, dealing with racism and moving the needle for this guy here is great. I got a friend who's like doesn't realize some of the super racist things that he says. Um, but I've seen the needle move there, you know, based on relationship. And it's good. Oh, that's a victory. And then I will meet a guy who is nowhere near where he is now. And so I was like, okay, now I'm starting over with, with this person. Do I do I accept all this emotional baggage? Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like it's, um, you know, the hurricane hits. A uh, hurricane hits an area, and for that first couple weeks, the cameras are all there, and everybody, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get our groups, we're gonna go down there with some chainsaws, we're gonna cut up the trees that are falling on the lines, we're gonna get, you know, we're gonna pump the water out, we're gonna rebuild people's homes, and then after all the cameras are gone, all these groups move out. My friend just came back for being down in Florida for seven weeks of still doing stuff mm-hmm. long after the hurricanes have hit, and so I feel like the long haul, in a way, is that thankless work uh, that is done when the cameras are gone. Uh, when nobody's paying attention, where you might get one thank you for three years of work. So how do you all stay hopeful in the face of cynicism, in the face of places where actually people have a right in a way to be cynical because they've seen a group come, this group come in and then leave, that group come in and then leave. Uh, so how do you stay hopeful um, in in the face of that cynicism? How do you stay hopeful uh, in the long haul when the thanks are few? Personally, I do the work that I do and am and involved in various things because one, as Mark said, it's kind of my upbringing, um, just who I am as an individual. And also my faith really pushes me to to do it. As a former Catholic, like liberation theology was something I was rooted mm-hmm. in. Yep. And as as a Muslim, just the prophetic way of helping those who are oppressed and Mm -hmm. they have a right over us. 
And that's what drives me forward. And it's also about intentions. So I always have to check, just me personally, I always try to check my intentions for why it is that I do the work that I do. Okay. Yeah. That kind of sounds like the, um, speaking of uh, Obama 2012, keeping hope. Let's <laughs> 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 say it again. Obama 20, we miss you. We miss you. What's your, um, you know, kind of working together as a couple, as a family, um, and I know that <laughs> I mentioned this question to Mark and he was like, I don't know if we have any sage advice, but no, I mean, you guys are like, you know, doing your, you know, really in the heart of it in the thick of it. What's your, I mean, you know, if you could give any um, words of wisdom or advice to other couples and families who are engaged in community work or, or want to be, and they're just kind of afraid that they, um, you know, it's uh, difficult to balance or something like that, I guess, kind of what are, what some of, what would you say to a family like that? Or a couple. This year, I'm actually in a fellowship with Mothering Justice, um, part of Mama's University, particularly for mothers of color, which has been absolutely empowering and profound. Um, and one of the things that we have learned is that the revolution can start at home with raising your children. But it won't be televised. But it will not always be. <laughs> well, with social media. Right. <laughs> I, guess I guess everything's televised now, but right. continue, sorry. No, no. But so that's something that I have been um, trying to hone in on. Um, and also one of my teachers had mentioned to me, she said, you are naturally a community organizer. Make sure you're organizing your sons. And I loved how she used that language for me. And it's because it just like really hit home. But it's it's difficult, but it's really remembering that community cannot be built if a family is not right hmm. and if a family is not in sync with one another. And that's something that like we're still working on to make sure and and know that our sons are see the work that we do, not only out in the community, but that things are good at home as well. And so, you know, we're still figuring out balance and time management and all that. But it's it's something that we hope that will inspire our children, inshallah, God willing. In a way, you guys, uh, I mean, you're uh, what I would describe as a uh, interracial relationship, a cross-cultural relationship. I am as well. My, my wife is white. And so it's kind of interesting to see the spaces. I mean, you've got this kind of cross-cultural reality in your own life, and then you are moving into a cross-cultural reality, you know, moving into a space that is uh, in a way, I mean, you might do work in it, and I don't know what your what your upbringing were, but you are moving into a space that is, in a way, unfamiliar, where you have to kind of learn the the cultural realities, and, the, and it's like learning a new language. My wife and I, uh, every Sunday, we do an event called the Dinner Detroit, mm -hmm. even though we live in Roseville, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but um, we we literally invite uh, friends, family, and total strangers into our home. Wow. Um, to and, and and it's it's kind of interesting because we actually got a call last night from a friend of mine named Sarah, who is a um, what is she? Uh, she's a dietitian by trade, and she's just got a heart for people. And she's now in this mentoring program, and she's got a woman who is a, is a black mother, uh, expecting mother, and she's like asking me a lot of questions because you know I deal a lot with race. She's like, is this okay for me to do? And so she called me last night. And she said, hey, you know. We have this thing at our home the Friday after Thanksgiving that's called Friendsgiving, but all of our friends are white and super hipster and they, they don't have any friends of color or any friends that are poor. And I'm thinking, should I invite her 
but can I also invite her to your event because it's so cross-cultural and maybe she would mm. see people who look like her and come from a different walk of life who can talk to her and, and make her feel welcome. And so we're starting to see the fruits of this kind of thing. But my wife and I had to have that same kind of conversation is how do we um, – how do we – what does it look like? We're opening our home to strangers. You know, we're – who aren't like us. My wife and I both are very college educated. I have four college degrees at this point. How do I relate to the person who decided to be a mechanic? How do I relate to, you know, we're also Christians. How do I relate to the Muslim across the table? How do I relate to the atheist? How do I relate to the Jewish person? And so on and so forth. And it's kind of been an interesting reality is trying to create this space, create this margin of uh, understanding other people. But like you said, that starts at home. And so we're dealing with our own things, um, whether it's little misunderstandings that my wife, you know, never dealt with. When we went to the Charles H. Wright Museum, she's crying at the, ex- you know, when you walk through the, the slave yeah. ship, she's just crying. She's like, isn't this sad? You're like, I've been black my whole life. Honey, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a long time to deal with this, right? Uh, to adjust. Um, but, you know, just like because of those kind of realities and conversations, it leads to uh, the things that we're able to do uh, where we welcome people into our home. So I'm what I'm saying is a long explanation of, I'm picking up what you're putting down there. Everything starts at home, <laughs> which is really, which is really cool. So, yeah. sorry. I feel yeah. like I talk too much in this episode. <laughs> no. I feel like I talk way too much. No, I love <laughs> that. Thank you yeah. so much Thank for you. sharing that. No problem. Yeah. I think oh, by the way, you're welcome to come to that at any, any time you want. Oh, it's, it's, it's a free it event. Too. It's fantastic. <laughs> I know. Awesome. I need to make it over. There yeah, you too. need to come. You need I to come. Um, but yeah, no, the family thing. It's 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 like I was just complaining. Not complaining. I was uh, commiserating with some friends yesterday. Like on their, we have like a group of um, women that um, kind of pray for each other. And I was like, can you just pray for me because I'm just really stinking at this mom thing right now. <laughs> it's like things could be going really well at work. And really, for me as a psychiatrist, sometimes I feel like it's easier for me to go and help other people, have conversations, talk to them, really empathize. Um, if I can help in some way with coming home and dealing with like the craziness at home is the hard part. It's and then at the same time, it being it's not just like survival, like making sure that they're eating and growing, exactly. but like turning, <laughs> helping them become good human beings that care about humanity. Exactly. In <laughs> yeah. the yeah, along with that. So, um, anything else that you guys would like to um, add as we wrap up? Um, parting words. Um. No, not in, about the project or um, where, where can we find out more about you? Is there you a can website definitely or? learn more about us at dreamofdetroit.org. Um, uh, you know, we we sometimes when we're talking to folks uh, in the Muslim community, particularly who aren't from here, we tell them, you know, that when they ask themselves, you know, when can the, where can the Muslim community make the biggest impact um, in community development, that they should dream of Detroit. Um, so, dreamofdetroit.org, folks are more than welcome to. Um, get a glimpse at our work, our housing work, our economic development work, our budding community organizing work. Um, if folks are interested in supporting our work, there's a donate link there. Again, we're trying to raise the funds right now to hire our first full-time staffer and, and really sort of take our work to the next scale. Um, I think, you know, Hazel's so right from the community building perspective, everything really does sort of start at home. Um, and yet at the same time, there's this tension for me in that, um, you know, Despite all the things that are going to happen, you know, sort of interpersonally that are inevitable in, in life and in community, we actually want to see this turn into a thriving neighborhood that can withstand, you know, withstand all of that. Um, and, and, um, 
you know, that is something that's literally on the map and that people can point to and say, there's that thriving, uh, multi-ethnic, mixed-income Detroit Muslim community on the west side of the city, uh, you know, that turned around that neighborhood that was struggling. So um, please pray for us. Awesome. Well, yeah. Inshallah, God willing. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you both so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking your time out. And um, again, yeah, encouraging our listeners to check your amazing workout on dreamofdetroit.org. Dreamofdetroit.org. Yep. Also more active on Facebook. So make sure you follow us on Facebook. That's really true. Yeah. And sign up for email too. And as a matter of fact, while you're on the site, give us your phone number. We'll text you when we have programs. Too. <laughs> yeah. the whole thing. Don't be calling me in the middle of dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's a good point too. I mean, I'm sure and if people are interested in volunteering, I was looking at the website last night. It's really easy to navigate. And yeah, please check it out. We, I mean, we have, there's a volunteer sign up form that spells out all the opportunities. We have literally three standing teams. We have our housing team that meets regularly. They're looking at, okay, how do we crack the nut of really scaling the housing work in this neighborhood that's still underwater? Uh, our economic development team that does the entrepreneurship courses, Islamic finance seminars, the street fair, um, uh, community organizing team. And then if, if, so if you're someone who wants to give more time, we can certainly welcome you into one of those teams. And if you are just someone who's looking for a service opportunity every once in a while, you know, sign up for our email alerts. And when there's a chance to do a neighborhood cleanup or board up or something like that, you know, we'll certainly pull you in. Okay. Wow, amazing. Thank you again. Thank you guys so much. And thank you to our listeners for joining us again here. Thank you, on another, Thank you. <laughs> another episode of Unsung Heroes. Please like our Facebook page, especially because I don't have a website yet, but I'm going to work on it. <laughs> um, and that's really the way that we communicate with our listeners. And please um, check out our past episodes um, and share and um, and join us next time on another episode of Unsung Heroes. Thanks. <laughs>